Good evening and welcome to the NFL Draft. Tonight, we officially welcome the next generation of players. So if you're ready, are you ready? Let's get it started. The NFL Draft is officially open. Welcome inside the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. I am Trevor Sikkim, and with me is Benjamin Solak. Today's episode is brought to you by Bilt Bar. Go to BiltBar.com, use the promo code LOCKEDON, all caps, one word, LOCKEDON, and you will get 20% off your next order for the best-tasting protein bars on the planet. Ben, what day is it? Uh, delicious? Nope. Got three <laughs> curveball here. I mean, technically, t- is today ben is delicious. Fan Friday. But it is. It is a beautiful Fan Friday edition of the podcast. A chaotic Fan Friday, if I do say so myself. After looking at a lot of these questions that you guys sent us in, we had so many. We're going to try to get to as many as we possibly can. If you're new to this show, what up? I'm Trevor. That's Ben. Uh, but what we do on Fridays is we go a little bit outside the box. We talk purely football for four days on this podcast, Monday through Thursday. Friday, we open it up a little bit. We still talk plenty of football, but also we leave Fan Fridays, ask me anything, so the good allies of the podcast can truly ask us whatever. And sometimes it gets a little weird, and I think that it's probably going to get a little bit weird on this one. So, Ben, are you ready? Yes, it is time. The first question, in in perfect Fan Friday fashion is not a question at all but it is something that we had that i had to address right at the top of the podcast oh yeah this is good because we did the fix your team series for the dallas cowboys earlier this week and we learned that jerry jones the first thing that he did in his business ventures when he was a young warthog was he a young one he caught it's funny because of the arkansas Razorbacks, right Right? There's levels to this. That was a joke, and I'm glad that you guys got the levels to it. Jerry Jones casually just borrowed a million dollars for his first business venture out of college and invested it into a pizza parlor called Shakey's Pizza Parlor. Ben and I had never heard of this pizza parlor before, and we were like, was this actually good? Because then it said it was a failed venture. Drew DM'd me and said, hey, man, Shakey's Pizza Parlor was dope AF. This is this is his, his words now verbatim. I'm quoting him here. It was set up as a buffet with all different kinds of pizzas. Cheeseburger pizza, buffalo pizza, dessert pizza. He said, I'm sure there were many more, uh, but the last one near me also closed down when I was a kid like 20 years ago. He said they had a ton of other items in the buffet like chicken tendies, mashed potatoes, salad. Lastly, they had a neat little arcade room. I had the time of my life there as a child. Um... I hope this helps. Definitely didn't know that Jerry had any connections to this franchise. Thanks for your times. Big fan of the pod. Well, we appreciate you shedding some light into that, Drew, because, Ben, I don't know if you had a place like this growing up, but for me, Hungry Howie's was this place. Somehow, some way, in the town I grew up in in Florida, there was a buffet-style Hungry Howie's that was exactly like this. You could get I've never whatever. heard of Hungry Howie's before. Oh, really? I didn't. Is that a national chain? I feel like it was national. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's a regional thing. But it was the same thing. It was like a pizza buffet, and you could get chocolate pizza. You could get all kinds of like pineapple, spinach, 
pepperoni, sausage, like whatever combo you wanted. If it wasn't busy, you could go up to the little glass that they had there and be like, yo, can you make me a chocolate, caramel, <laughs> ice cream, ribeye, chicken tender pizza? And they'd be like, yeah, kid, I don't care. I'm making six I'll do whatever you want. I'll, I'll literally throw whatever you real? want on this dough. You want to go win a couple of rubber toys in the little arcade? I'll throw them on the pizza. I don't care. So that was basically what this was like. And I remember that this is my this is one of my favorite pizza places as a kid. So it makes sense that if Shakey's Pizza Parlor was similar to what I had with Hungry Howie's, then this is going to be a hit. I went to the Shakey's Pizza website to uh, also get a look at and, and see what this was like. Everybody there looks like they're having a great time, which makes sense. It's their <laughs> website. They would put happy photos on there. But they, like the Pizza Buffet Plus Arcade thing? Yeah. Yeah, I've never. No, I can't think of a place I had. Like, I guess like Man. we would go to the mall where it'd be like there's mad food, like there's like food stands and there's an arcade. But like not not this this idea of a pizza buffet to me is novel and is stunning. Were you a big were you a big mall guy growing up? I only asked that because I, I feel like I was. But you are, are you six years younger than me. I think you're six years younger than me. Yeah, and I was born in 97. You were born in 91. That's like, that's a pretty big gap. And like, as of right now, malls like don't, re- like malls aren't really a thing. Like even before mm-hmm. COVID and the pandemic, like people just stopped going to malls. I mean, online shopping is huge now and there are certain specialty stores, but unless it was truly like an elite mall, like an upscale mall, right. I feel like they're just all going away. So I wondered if, if like mall life was big for you, like I know it was for people who were kind of like closer to my age. Well, let me ask you, right. Let me ask you this. Where, how many movie theaters were there? Were you, I don't know exactly where you grew up. Like did you grew up in Tampa or no? No, I, I grew up yeah. south of Tampa. Right. So how many movie theaters were there in the town where you grew up? Um, I think there were, two, there were two standalone movie theaters and then there was one in the mall. Right, so there are no standalone movie theaters in Strasburg, Pennsylvania. There was just the movie theater in the mall, right? So, like, I was a mall guy in the sense that Strasburg's not really big enough for mm. you to not be a mall guy, right? Like, that was just like, you know, if you weren't going over to your buddy's house, you were going over to the mall because hmm. that's just where things were. Okay, you know what I mean? So you were. So um, you so you lived you, yeah. you lived that mall life. Like on a Saturday morning when you were in middle school, you were going to the mall. Saturday morning, my dad was making me like mulch the church. But yeah, <laughs> after that. <laughs> my dad worked landscaping, so I was doing that five days. Right? Yeah, I was yeah. doing that Monday through Friday. So. <laughs> my dad was making me mulch the church. Really? Yo, shout answer. out the Stroud Mall, man. Yeah, no, dude. Like, shout out mall life. A lot of weird, crazy, probably somewhat terrible things happened at malls. But, you know, it's it's where we were born. It's what made us. So it forged us into young adulthood, mall life. And now we don't get any more. Sad. Neil asked this question. He said, it's, it seems to me that Allen Robinson, Chris Godwin, and Kenny Galladay are too good to not franchise tag. Basically, not let get out in free agency as they are all unrestricted free agents. I think Robinson and Godwin end up staying with Chicago and Tampa Bay. How much do you think a tagged Galladay has in terms of value? Could the Colts trade their number 21 overall pick to Detroit for Kenny Galladay? I think uh, Indianapolis goes after Galladay after trading a second and a future second 
or maybe future first for Carson Wentz. T.Y. Hilton then goes to Miami, joins Deshaun Watson after the eventual trade that happens. Watson for two, all of that. Okay, so there were, there were layers at the end of that at the end of that question, but I'm going to stick with the meat and cheese of it, which is. What value do we think a tagged Kenny Galladay has? I think the big question there is that, like, is this someone who you could see a team trading a first-round pick for who really wants a weapon to win next year? No. Uh, We look at the history of of tagging trades, uh, which are tricky functions, right? You think about you're basically uh, buying one year— market value of a player right because you can sign them for an extension once they get in the building assuming that they are at that point not beyond the tag deadline uh which i believe is july 31st might be june 31st uh it's it's in the middle of summer uh at that point if you're on the franchise tag through that that fragment of the league year right from march to that middle summer point you, you pass that deadline. You can no longer be signed for an extension in that season. You have to play on the tag that season. So you're playing a, a paying a substantial amount of money for one year without the guarantee of being able to extend the guy. So it's a dangerous game. Uh, tag and trades that have occurred recently. Frank Clark uh, was tagged by the Seahawks, then traded for the Chiefs. Uh, they got a first and a second round pick from the Chiefs, and then they swapped thirds. It was considered a huge get for Seattle. Uh Jadavian Clowney was tagged by the Texans and sent to the Seahawks in, mm-hmm. in, in not an accompanying tag and trade, but in, in the same offseason. Uh, that was a third round pick. Martin and Barkevius Mingo, right? Uh, the edges. D Ford was tagged Chiefs to the 49ers. Uh, that was a second round pick. And then Jarvis Landry is the most recent wide receiver to get tagged in trade. He was sent from the Dolphins to the Browns for a fourth round pick and a seventh round pick. So Kenny Galladay if he's tagged will be around the value of a, the average value of a top 10 wide receiver is Galladay a top, uh, top 10 wide receiver. Maybe, but he's definitely not like wide receiver five wide receiver six. So you're already, that's already like above price. A B if Indianapolis knew for sure that they had the quarterback that they needed long-term, Yes, it becomes a little bit more likely. Okay, bring in Galladay. He's going to love it here. He's going to get a ton of targets, and it's going to be great. But they don't. They have a guy they just traded for in Carson Wentz who's coming off of a really bad statistical season. So there's a danger here. And remember, they're they're tied to Wentz for two years. You can't get out of that contract in 2022. $15 million of that contract is going to guarantee on the third day of the league year, March 19th. Mm -hmm. You you tag and trade Galladay. If you can get him under an extension before that deadline— Sure. Let, maybe we start talking about a first-round pick. Even then, it's rich for my blood, but maybe. If you can't get him to an extension, you run the risk of when struggling and Galladay saying, wait a minute. Nah, I'm out. He's still here next year. Right. You just traded, you know, first-round pick for me, traded first-round pick for DeForest Buckner. You only have Jacob Eason behind this guy. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go ahead the market. Uh, I'm going to go, I'm going to try to get on free agency like I was trying to do last year. I'm going to try to go play with Matt Stafford again in Los Angeles. You know what I mean? I'm going to go try to play with uh, Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay, Deshaun Watson in Miami. Uh, so you've got a danger there that makes hypothetically for a tagged player. Hypothetically Miami. Yeah. You just, you uh, you just, just threw that in so matter of fact. Yeah, 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 real casual. 
there's basically what it boils down to is there's an incumbent danger in trading for players on the tag. Yeah. A lot of it has to do with that, with, with whether or not you can extend them, which right. is that summer deadline. Right. So that changes the calculus a little bit, but I think a first is a little bit too much. I, I would agree. I think that in a vacuum, you know, you saying that you're getting the best of Kenny Galladay and you're getting to throw him in there with Carson Wentz and you hope the offensive line is great. The running game could stay strong. The defense is even better. Like all of those things line up hypothetically for you, but for you to trade a first or second round asset for a player that then you just that then you have to command huge money to that's always dangerous as well like even right. if things work out for you you're giving up a you're giving up a second round pick just to spend a crap ton of money on a guy like you're you're basically just spending the first or second round pick in this scenario for this question just to have the rights to make Kenny Galladay a $18 million a year wide right. receiver. It's so, not unlike when the uh, the Texans acquired Laramie Tunsil with one year left on his deal. He obviously wasn't tagged. He just had a year left. Right. And they didn't have an extension in place at the time of acquisition. So then he had them, you know, by the gonads, as it were. Right. Because they can't trade multiple firsts for him and then let him walk a year later. Yes. So if you train a first for Galladay, you ain't letting him out the building. Right. So now he's going to have an advantage uh, negotiation-wise. It's a great point. If you wanted to sit there and think perfect scenario, like perfect case scenario, if you look at the Colts and you go, wow, they need another top-tier wide receiver, and you go, who are you going to get at 21 that's better than Kenny Galladay? I might agree with you there, but there's a lot more that goes into this that I, I would— this is the reason why we don't see tag and trades or guys on the final year of their deal go for a lot of money because of this reason. You do not want to give up a pre- a premium draft asset just to have the rights to sign a player and also put your back up against the wall and start the clock immediately the second you get them. So it's just it's a really tough situation to navigate and that's why I I wouldn't do it for a first or a second round pick. Like if you could get if you could get Galladay for a third and obviously you got some good faith in there or you got some uh, good birds that are whispering in your ear that says that like Galladay would sign an extension like and he would actually work with Indianapolis then okay now we're, we're talking about a deal that could get done after that it's just too rich for me there's too much that can go wrong Sydney asked this question she said every year the Minnesota Vikings target high upside defensive linemen in the middle rounds of the draft with six picks in rounds three and four who are some of the guys that they should target at edge and also three technique Hopefully these guys are more similar to Everson Griffin, Daniel Hunter, DJ Wan- DJ Wanham, then uh, Jalen Holmes, Jaleel Johnson, and Scott Christian. Also, Sydney said, "P.S. Hippos are cuddly," which we can get into That's after. Facts, the, uh, son. It's just, it's just. No. Yes. I don't understand you people. Look at them. Uh, what do you first, look, this at the, a- look at? Look at that. Look at them. Is is evidence against your case? No, looking at them as evidence for my case because they look cuddly as heck. I'm looking at <sighs> pictures of hippos. We're doing this again. If you saw a hippo at a Shakey's pizza parlor, what would you do at the mall? No, I'm just kidding. We're just like combining different inside jokes there. <laughs> all in one one, okay. friend, one fan Friday, we take all of the questions and we find a way to link them all in one giant I question. would actually love that. For like next fan Friday, if you guys tried to come up with as many like inside jokes as you remember about the podcast, y'all are probably going to remember way right, more exactly. than even Ben and I do. Like, we don't get it. Yeah, <laughs> we're not going <laughs> to remember gonna... I do so many of these podcasts, my brain is just mush at this point. Okay, so Minnesota Vikings. We're talking about mid-round targets on the defensive line. Looking for Sydney's looking for three techs 
or edge players who could have high upside? This, by the way, is like a perfect question. Because A, it's great. It's very interesting. B, I did not think about this for Minnesota, but now that Cindy said it, it's like I realize it to be 100% true. Minnesota always does this, right? Mm-hmm. Where they're just like, oh, round four pick. Here's a guy who's an athlete who has five career sacks. Let's see what we can do with this dude. Uh, and that's a good way of going about team building, in my opinion. Um, but now I'm going to do Vikings seven-round mocks. I've got this down on the low. All right, we're at third round. We're going to get them da 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 Okay. I'm looking at interior defensive tackles. Two guys jump out to me right away. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jalen Twyman out of yes. Pittsburgh. Yes. A player we've talked about a lot in the summer because of a potential first-round buzz for how productive he was. Uh, 12 TFLs, t- uh, 10 and a half sacks as a sophomore in 2019. He opts out of the, the 2020 season. Uh, he's standing on that production, and understandably so. It's good production, and also probably he wouldn't have the same season. And so you kind of like just leave it there. Uh, he's falling in large part because size, 6'2", 290. He's not going to be a every-down player. I don't, know if, I don't player. know if he's 290. Six two two eighty. Yeah, he's not going to be an every down player in the NFL, uh, at least in year one, and perhaps never. He's always going to be a situational pass rusher. But if you think about what the Vikings wanted in Hercules Mataafa uh, when they brought him in as an undrafted free agent, I believe seventh round pick, something like that, out of Washington State, uh, extremely quick interior rusher, super undersized, good with his hands. Twyman's got that little push pull has got that swim move that he's just going to work constantly I'll be able to generate some upfield penetration so Twyman stands out and uh, Osa Digazua which Osa Digazua is probably like your round three pick given the way that he performed at the senior bowl I don't know if he's making it to round four um, again 62220 is how or excuse me 62280 is how we have him listed on our site uh, slippery dude great with his hands good slanter interior rusher right so osa and jalen twyman are two in in that sub package three tech mold that have a really good pass rush profile that would be interesting to see after a year or two in the nfl they can hold some more weight and play on base downs as well those are my interior guys yeah i mean like if you want to get a little bit more flexible with the three tech label if you can get Tyler Shelvin there, I, I don't really know what Tyler Shelvin's stock is like right now, but he moves super well for a guy who's really big as an interior defensive lineman. Like if you wanted to get a plus mover on the inside, even though he's more of a nose tech, a tackle, he's more playing zero or one than he is a three tech. You can get creative with him though. So I think that there's a lot of flexibility there. And then just, I mean, if you love Marvin Wilson's motor, like if you got some faith in him still, I again, I, I don't know where he's going to end up getting drafted with either of those guys. The guys that Ben labeled are probably more those solidified round three or four, but maybe if it's like a fringe second round or third round kind of a pick, those could be options there as well. What about edge rushers? What about creative edge guys that we could see in rounds three or four? Edge is sometimes tough because, of course, pass rushing is something that every team in the NFL is going after. And by the time you get to rounds three and four, a lot of the good guys are already spoken for. So who are some players that uh, you identified as some edge guys they could be interested in? Who was, who was the Ohio State rusher they brought in? Uh, Jalen Holmes, yeah? Yeah, right. Jalen Holmes. That's who it was, right. Right, so Jalen Holmes was I liked, six, I liked, I like Jalen Holmes. I, I understood right. that he was, he was a tweener kind of a player, but like I liked a lot of his tape, and I was like, man, I hope he's good. Right, which, I mean, I, I, I'm perfectly comfortable just continuing to hammer the, the tweener type players, right? So... Uh, Jordan Smith, the edge at a UAB, okay. to me is a similar player in terms of what Jalen Holmes is doing at the college level. Uh, 6'6", 260, was a JUCO player, 
was it what well, was a high star a high caliber recruit to Florida suspended Juco came back UAB murdered kids uh extremely good first not step. literally not literally not actually not literally in the football, football yeah 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 in the football, football term very good um <laughs> uh extremely violent with oh dang uh great first step violent with his hands <laughs> you said uh, yeah I walked right into that one um uh, so, so great first step for his length, violent with his hands, explosive coming in into the quarterback set point, needs to learn how to play all base downs, but Jordan Smith, 6'6", 260. So again, if you're looking at your length and and a height profile in the same way you did with Jalen Holmes. And then uh, I have down Peyton Turner as well. I did he too. He plays yeah. at a heavier weight, which is also Holmes was around 270. Peyton Turner, who I really like at Houston, uh, is 270. He's even a bit further along, in my opinion, than a guy like Jordan Smith is. His weight has bounced around everywhere across the course of his career at Houston. I, he was originally like going to be a basketball recruit, and then he had to cut down. And he's his his build is also a little bit uh, uh, disproportionate for the league. He's a little bit more top heavy than you'd like for a football player to be, as opposed to a basketball player. Uh, and so he's got work to do figuring out what exactly his play weight is. But quickness, effort, hand strength, all there. So. Uh, Peyton Turner out of Houston, and then Jordan Smith out of UAB would be the two names I would circle for the Vikings on the edge. Might be a little bit later than the third third or fourth round. I'm not exactly sure, but Chauncey Golson, the edge from Iowa, uh, he's just a high-motor dude. I think he's a good run defender. He's got a lot of strength to him, but, man, he's always a uh, Chauncey's uh, is going to the Eagles in the fifth round, so, yeah, you can't— can't take him in the third or the fourth. The okay. Vikings. Yeah. Well, you yeah. know, like, sorry hy- about that. I hypoth- should have told you that before the podcast. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, hypothetically, you know, like if he didn't, obviously, like he is, but, you know, hypothetically, if he didn't, he's about 6'4, yeah. 6'5. Six, six, he plays a little higher weight, you know, so he, he could be a little bit of a tweener. You could put him inside. Pass rush a little raw for him right now, but he brings a lot of energy to, to what he's doing. And so I think that that's more of just like an unrefined thing. I'm not so sure it's like he can't do it. Um, not saying that he's going to be an early round rusher or anything, but he's a guy who, if you're drafting a guy in the mid rounds, looking at some upside players, Chauncey Golson's another guy that, that I would name there. But of course, he's going to Philadelphia Eagles. While we were talking there, I um, I remembered one of the just like smaller bits that we had because we were just talking about like inside jokes and like bits on the show. Remember Jalen Twyman when we watched him for summer scouting and the whole premise of the day was, is he Aaron Donald or not? That's like it. Like, it was just like cut and dry. It was just like, is he the next Aaron Donald or is he like never going to play in the NFL? (laughs) Like, that was the only two options when you're a defensive tackle at Pitt. Undersized defensive tackle at Pitt. Yes. I just remembered that as we were going through it. And I was like, oh, yeah, that was actually a good bit. Folks, we mentioned this at the very top of the podcast, but I talk, I got to talk to you about it again. I got to emphasize something specifically with BuiltBar.com. They got a flash sale, okay, for the Coconut Puff Bar. Luscious chocolate, soft marshmallows made with premium collagen protein blend. It's got 16 grams of protein, 130 calories, only 6 grams of sugar to it. It's gluten-free. It's preservative-free. It's a limited time only, so this is a this is a flash one-day sale. So if you're listening to this on a Friday, you got to order it on a Friday. But you go to BuiltBar.com, check that out, and all the other great bars that they have. We're going to get to more of your questions after the break. We're covering everything you need to know about the NFL Draft, but what about the rest of sports? Now the Locked On Podcast Network has you covered there as well with Locked On Today. Toasted by Peter Bukowski, and it's all of the sports news you need every morning 
in just under 20 minutes. Subscribe to Locked On Today podcast wherever you get your podcast. Ooh, here's an interesting one. Bring us back from the break. Mike asked this one. He said, with Wentz and Stafford being dealt already, please rank in order of most likely to least likely these quarterbacks will be traded. Deshaun Watson, Jimmy Garoppolo, Sam Darnold, Tua Tungavailoa. He said Most also you could, least he like. said he said also you could follow it up with what teams they go to. I didn't do teams, although I could I guess I could do that off the top of my head while we're doing that. But um Right. Yeah. So let's start from the bottom, like least likely least to be likely. traded. Yes. And then we will go to most likely to be traded. So who is your four? Jimmy Garoppolo is my least likely to be traded. Okay. And I think that there's a good chance that all of this Niners potential trade they're making calls on guys is mostly just like media-generated hope, right? That there's some chance that we'll see a real quarterback in Kyle Shannon's offense and how fun that would be and how great that would be, so on and so forth, uh, versus the Niners just basically doing the due diligence, realizing that they're probably on Jimmy for another season and going. If they do get a different starting quarterback besides Jimmy, it will be via the draft, and like that won't happen until draft day, in my opinion. Like unless they make a mm-hmm. big trade in March, uh, I, I like to me they're going to make that trade in April on draft day, and then they're going to have Garoppolo on the roster, potentially trade him before the season. But I don't think it's going to be a trade that's coming down the mountain in March. So he's fourth for me. Okay, all right, I'll I'll just let you keep racking him off. I'll let you go. And oh, okay, go. cool. So third for me is Tua Tungavailoa. He's right below Deshaun Watson in the sense that the only way Tua gets traded is if he's being traded for Deshaun Watson. And so he can't be more likely to be traded than Deshaun Watson is. And there's still a small chance that Deshaun ends up somewhere else, not Miami. So Tua is three. Matt makes Deshaun two for me. Uh, I, I believe Watson will get traded. There's still a chance that, the, I mean, like the, it would be malpractice for the Texans not to trade him. The problem is they have committed multiple malpractices in like recent memory. So you can't rule out them just being like, no, stay here, hold out till week 10, play the last six games, accrue a season, whatever. You know what I mean? Like like that. I, I, I would love to tell you that's not going to happen. I can't say that with certainty for Houston. So I, I think that Watson is going to get traded. I think it's greater than 50 percent, but I don't think it's near like 100 or anything. Uh, and then my most likely to be traded is Sam Darnold. Mm-hmm. You can say anything you want about evaluating him in the building, about how Adam Gase ruined him. As I've said before, as a country, we need to move on from Sam Darnold. Uh, <laughs> the Jets have the number one two. Of my favorite pick. fans that you've one of my favorite rants that you've done this year. <laughs> when I was on uh, Mina's show, right? I was on uh, the Mina Kimes show. Wow, very casual. Oh, just, just so relax, okay? Casual. Did you hear it. me try to like? Not say it. And I was like, dang. Not even, not even uh, like the Mina Kimes show. Just like Mina, one name. I feel like she's she's seal in, in terms of the NFL, right? She, media. You know, she's like, just you're, Mina. You're right. You're right. Um, Madonna, just one, yeah, just yeah. one name. Exactly. It's uh, it, it, I she we we talked about like trading for Wentz versus trading for Donald or Darnold, and she was like, I feel like trading for Wentz, trading for Donald, you'd be basically even. And I was like, yeah. And also in my head, I was like, but as a country, <laughs> and I was like, no, no, we can't do this right now. This is a professional podcast. This is serious. Um, anyway, uh, I think that Donald's most likely to be traded because no matter what you say about him in the building, no matter your eval of him, yada, 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 
you have number two overall. Mm-hmm. And you cannot say that Donald gives you a better chance short or long term than Justin Fields or Zach Wilson, whoever it is you prefer. So uh, to me, it's going to be Donald. I think Donald is going to be gone before the beginning of April. He's going to be somewhere else for the Jets. So I'm looking up one other contract just so I make sure that I have this here. But um, yeah, okay, then this makes sense. Number four for me, least likely to be moved, is Tua Tungavailoa. Because I think the only way Tua gets moved is with a Watson trade. Like, that's it. And there's still no Mm -hmm. guarantee that if Watson gets traded, it will be to Miami. So I think objectively, I have to put Tua as the least likely to be traded because I don't see another reality. Like if they don't get to Sean Watson, I don't think they'll still also go like, yeah, all right, let's still like move on from Tua. I think that it's, it's Deshaun or nothing like it's Deshaun or Tua. And that's going to be it for, for Miami. They're not going to move on from him. So in that, in that logic, I have him last. I then have Deshaun Watson at number three as the next least likely to be traded because there's so many complex parts about this. And the main one is, I don't know what the F the Texans are ever thinking at this point. Like, so could they absolutely just hang on to Deshaun Watson all the way until the start of next season, even into a Deshaun Watson holdout? Yes. Yeah, they could because they already have the dude under contract. They've already got him there. They don't have to give into his demands. And Deshaun's, look, you know, I think timing gets a little bit tricky as we go on from this because we know right now how much value Deshaun Watson has. We don't know how much that will continue to be a thing the further we get into this. It's not like Deshaun is getting worse or it's not like Deshaun's age becomes a problem, but trading him before next season is advantageous for a team because he's not allowed on the salary cap next year. It's a surefire thing. Doing it before the draft allows him to plan. The sooner they do it, probably the better, the more value that they can get. But Houston could very well stand firm on this and go, absolutely not. This is one of the top five quarterbacks in the NFL. This is going to be one of the top five quarterbacks for the next 10 years. We're not moving on from him. No, this is not happening. So the Texans could eventually, could ultimately do that if they wanted to. I don't know how they're going to play it out. So he's number three for me. Number two for me is Garoppolo. And the reason why he's higher on my list than he is for yours is because when I look at the situation in San Francisco, I think they know that Jimmy cannot get them over the top. And right, right. now— The big—yeah, the, go, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, it, you, you can say everything you want about Garoppolo and not trading him, and then you look at a division with Matt Stafford, Kyler Murray, and Russell Wilson, and you go, frick! Right. Like, you got, like, that's scary. And not only that, the Niners have—they were unlucky this year, right? They had so many different injuries that—, that came about that just really like held them down and so I really do think that this year was unlucky for a lot of reasons they're now in a I would say probably the latter half of what is their current winning window they have Fred Warner who is up next year who are there they are going to have to pay a lot of money to to keep as the cornerstone in the middle of that defense and then the year after that they will have Nick Bosa Mike McGlinchey and Debo Samuel and Andre Greenlaw all coming off of their rookie contracts. Now, these are young, very good, and important players for them. So all of that is a big deal because as we've seen for Super Bowl teams in the past, a great Super Bowl roster is often veterans that are making a lot of money on their second or third contracts, also paired with young contributors who are getting, you know, what you would say is like bargain deals on their rookie deals who are also major contributors on the team. This is that current time for San Francisco. 
And I think John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan realize that. And that's why I think that especially with them having a top 12 overall pick, albeit number 12, they are in range if they wanted to, to go move up for a quarterback in this draft that they really want to groom over the next two years to make sure that while they still have these guys on their rookie deals, they can make the most of a winning window. So I would say that that's objectively why I would put Jimmy Garoppolo as number two. And then I agree with you. I think that Sam Darnold is the most likely to be traded at number one because the Jets are going to draft a quarterback at two. We as a country have to move on. I've heard what I've been told. <laughs> Joe asked this question. He said, create a roster from the past 10-ish years from prospects whose stock has fallen due to medicals. He said, example, is Landon Dickerson this year would be a great prospect, but he's got health concerns. I didn't fill out a full roster, but I had a handful of dudes. Uh, I, did you Did you fill out a, Did you get a full roster out of this? I tried. I have a quarterback, two running back, five offensive linemen, two receivers, four down defensive linemen, three linebackers, and two corners. Oh, okay. So I got no you got, safeties. You got, I can't throw the football. You got way more than okay. me, so... Let's hear it. I mean, I literally like uh, and like some of these guys fell two inches in the draft. Right. And some of these guys fell like all the way out of the draft. You know what I mean? So it's tricky mm-hmm. uh, for me. Right. So at quarterback, I put Tua because obviously Tua ends up the fifth overall pick. Um, but there's the, the biggest reason for not taking Tua one over Burrow at the time. You know, people now be like, oh, we knew everything now, at the time. It was because of the hip. Uh, that was a colossal injury that scared off teams so Tua still I think qualifies for this even though he went super high uh running backs I have Bryce Love who obviously was a Uh, a round one one, pick off of film which I I was never fully there on him for that but then obviously his his ankle injuries were a big problem uh I have Dalvin Cook as well uh Cook ended up a, a, a round two pick there were unfortunate and unfair questions about where he grew up and the, and the people he hung out with that also affected his fall. But Cook had the uh, the the history of injuries that people were concerned about. Rodney you know, Anderson also belongs here. I I loved just Rodney. I I just said I, I have Rodney Anderson on mine. Yeah, so loved Rodney. Uh, offensive line. I did a Madden. Fr- hold on, I did a Madden franchise the other day where I controlled. I like took off injuries, like all pre-existing injuries and all injuries in general, and I just made Rodney Anderson my like franchise running back, and it was incredible. It was amazing. It was everything that yeah. I wanted. That's all we dreamed for him. Oh, I loved his film. That was Jay Ajayi to a T all the oh, way to the end. Oh, yeah. Yep. Uh, Ryan Ramchick uh, ended up the last pick, or the 31st pick in the first round. He would yep. have gone earlier for injury concerns. Uh, Natana Moody was a late-round pick last year out of Fresno State. His film was great, even medical red flags. Lucas Niang, the TCU tackle, had the knee problems. Uh, we really liked his film. Uh, Landon yep. Dickerson I put down as well because that, that was the intro to the question. And Alex Bars, who was an undrafted free agent out of Notre Dame, Two seasons ago? Last season? Last season. Sometime recently? Right. Um, Last but season. He's in, yeah, he's in Notre Dame now. Yeah, he tore his ACL during the process, which always sucks. Yeah. Uh, and then wide receivers, which were the easiest ones to do, were DK Metcalf and Debo Samuel. Two second-round picks who never should have been second-round picks. Uh, Debo has a long history of injuries at the college level. Uh, and then Metcalf obviously had the neck injury in his yep. final season before going pro. On yep. the defensive side... Um, Jeffrey Simmons I had, again. I had Tyler. I also had Tyler Biotish to like add to that. Just like if Tyler Biotish had great never, one, great one, great had one, never gotten he, hurt at all. I think that's a good one. Yeah. yeah, that's a great one because it wasn't like oh he's got one injury right now that sucks. It was multiple years of hip injuries that was just like oh this is not good. Um, Biotish is a great one. All right, uh, defense. I had Jeffrey Simmons. Obviously, Jeffrey Simmons had off the field character concerns that led to his stock dropping. 
He also had the ACL injury in the pre-draft process that led to his stock dropping. Simmons on film for me was a top five pick, and he ended up being picked around 20. So to me, that that is at least a bit of an injury-related fall. Uh, Terrell Lewis from last season, edge at Alabama, right? Mm. Such a fun player, such a great athlete. Just saw a little availability when he was at Alabama. Maurice Hurst had the medical check to the heart injury. Uh, yeah. Defense tackle out of Michigan. To me, that was around one player penetrating three tech. He's been great for the Raiders in that role so far. Tack McKinley, also, again, another later first-round pick that could have potentially gone earlier in a very weak edge draft class. Now, for his injury history, I have, linebacker, Miles Jack J. Wait, I have, I, have, I have two more to add to the defensive line. Um, Daquan Bowers is one of them. Uh, Daquan Bowers was projected to be like a top five pick in the 2011 NFL draft. He ends up slipping all the way to the second round. Now there, there were other reasons why he slipped to the second round, but injuries and people were very concerned about his knee. That was a big, I think that that went a long way into why he fell as well. And then the other one, oh, it just hurts me so bad to say this. Dominic Easley. Easley ended up still being a first round pick, but Easley's film at Florida was um, like it was so much fun playing on the defensive line. He had two torn ACLs, which I think is a big reason why that everybody was like, look, you know, his film is fun. I think he could be good in the NFL, but I'm not taking him in with the first round pick. And the Patriots ended up doing that at the back end of the first round. And so easily was easily was one that really hurt me. But uh, that was a big one for me. Daquan Bowers is currently a defensive line coach at South Florida. Wow. I didn't know that. Wow. Got drafted by Tampa, stuck around. You love yeah. to see it. You sounded like you were not being serious there. I was like, is that is that very obvious? No, no, um, no I didn't know. I genuinely didn't know that. <laughs> it did not sound genuine at all. Okay. Uh, linebacker, Miles Jack and Jalen Smith are the obvious ones. Yep. Uh, right. Reuben Foster had a similar thing to Jeffrey Simmons. It was like some of its off-field stuff, some of its injury stuff. Reuben Foster very famously tried to run away from the NFL Combine because he didn't want to get <laughs> drug tested. Shout out Reuben Foster. Uh, and then corners, Sidney Jones being the famous one. Uh, was a potential round one pick. The Achilles injury not only affected his stock, but affected his play in the league. And then Bryce Hall, who was a, a day three pick last year for the Jets, uh, ended up getting the starting job and being one of their better starting corners across the back half of the season. Also, um, but also big shout out, Super Bowl champion Jamel Dean, who had all of the injury history behind him that led one. to him being a third round pick. Sure, sure, sure. Good one. I also, I, I thought... Jamel's film was third round. I didn't think Jamel people love Jamel's film. I just couldn't get it. Um, but no, 100% the league would have taken his athletic ability a lot higher if not yeah. for the accompanying injury. So yeah, those are those, uh, I couldn't find a safety. I like Carl Joseph kind of fell into the second round or, uh, no, he, he almost fell into the second round. He was the 27th overall pick and he had some injury concerns, but like, I don't, I don't know how much of being picked 27 was because of that. And just cause he, that was kind of the appropriate spot for Carl Joseph. So I couldn't think of a safety one. It's a good question. I was interesting to go back over those, especially because as I was doing research, you end up in these articles about all these players with red flags and we get to like oh, 2016 red flag, Robert and Kim DJ. He was stopped for possession of marijuana. And I was like, that's five years ago. We were all like, holy smokes. Can this kid play in the league? And obviously <laughs> you know, Kim DJ didn't have a successful season, but man, by the way, it's the first year anniversary of a sole lack of weed from Greg Robinson on the Mexico border. Oh, wow. Talking another another inside references. joke. Yeah, absolutely. That's a, that's a great one. That's uh, was a good it one. was it on the US oh the yeah, the Sierra Blanca border, US Border Patrol of Greg Robinson's one hundred and fifty seven pound vacuum sealed yeah. uh stash of weed. Yeah, one sole lack of weed. Yeah, as, that's, as, that's as it is known as it is known in the drug world. It is one sole lack of weed. The only safety that I had on here was Malik Hooker. And Malik Hooker has kind of like had the injuries that have also like 
crept into the NFL that he's just been injury prone, but um, he had some injury concerns coming out of Ohio State, and it's like when this dude was on the field, he was extremely impactful, and I think that he had the words. He, had a, he was still a first-round pick and everything, so it's not like the slide was monumental, but I would just throw his name out there as a safety who went in with injury concerns and has unfortunately still had injury concerns in the NFL. Before we get to the rest of the questions, got to remind the good people that bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Football might be over, but NBA, college basketball, NHL, pitchers and catchers reported. It's all in full swing. BetOnline even covers like award shows, TV shows, reality TV. They got real-time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine, anything that you want to put some chatter on. Head over to their website or use your mobile device to sign up today. Receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. You can use the promo code Locked On, all caps, one word, Locked On. That'll get you that 50% deposit over at BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Last bit of the questions coming up next. We just spoke about it before we went to break, but betting on the NFL or whatever you want to bet on doesn't have to be a guessing game if you listen to the new Locked on Bets podcast hosted by your boy Q. We've had Q on this podcast before. And handicapping expert Lee Sterling. Get daily picks and quick hitting advice to make the smartest possible wager. Subscribe to Locked On Bets Podcast, brought to you by betonline.ag, wherever you get your podcast. All right, somewhat of a rapid fire here. We got about 10, 15 minutes left to get as many of these questions as we can, but some of them are probably going to be long answer questions. So we might go a little bit over than that. David asked this one Which NFL players would be, be would be the best at your jobs? Ooh, my first thought was Shelby Harris, right? Who did the uh, Shelby was the fun. live show with you? Yeah, yeah. Shelby was a blast. He had a great personality. He was definitely down to kind of like do whatever he could in a mock draft, which is funny having a current player do a mock draft for a current team. And so he was a blast. I think that you're right. He would be great at this. Some names that I wrote down, um, like Larry Fitzgerald would be good at this job just because he's extremely professional. I think that he would take it very seriously. Luke Keekley knows so much about the game. Like film watching, I know Betts shared that that video clip of of Luke Keekley from NFL Films on Twitter the other day, and it was a just classic like him, but him just yeah. like reading the entire offense. And so, like, I showed I, that to Mare, and Mare was stunned. And I, I was like, "Yeah, football, this is cool." And she was like, "That is cool." And I was like, "Good." He good, would, good. <laughs> he would be great at it. And then personality wise, I put George Kittle down because, like, I think George Kittle is like a super smart guy when it comes to the game of football. And he obviously has an incredible work ethic to become one of the best at his position in the game. But I also think, like, he's zany, he's fun, he's funny. Like, that also being a personality also goes into our jobs as we are podcast hosts. And so I feel like George Kittle would also be great at the, this job. So those are the names I have, that I have. Yeah. I've Kittle down as an answer to a different question. Oh, foreshadowing. Wow. Foreshadowing. <laughs> Uh, if you could, Brad asked this one, sorry. If you could change your favorite team's color scheme to something completely different while keeping the rest of the branding, what would the new colors be? I thought about this for a long time. Sure you did. And besides changing it to Kelly Green, I really don't think I'd change it. I don't know. Like, maybe it's just the limits of your imagination. Like I tried to think of the Eagles logos and so many other different colors. And I like looked at pictures of Eagles and I was like, you're just Brown. Like I'm not gonna make my team Brown. Uh, it's the, 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 the dark green, like the midnight green is a little bit too bluish. I would probably make it more like an actual dark forest green or just make the change to Kelly green. But to me, like, I don't know. It's too, 
I don't, it's right. It's, I think it's right. I don't think it's wrong. I couldn't change it. So I, I tried, but I think it's just stay in the green family. What an absolute coward of an answer. Mine I is- could, I do I have so many things written down. I couldn't find, I couldn't get it. I couldn't get it done. Um, mine's kind of cheating because like, I could just say creamsicles, you know, like I could just say like what the bucks used right, to be before they changed it Kelly to green is right. Yeah. So, I mean like the creamsicle uniforms, I loved like when they did the modern day creamsicle, actually not the modern day creamsicle uniforms. When they did the true throwback creamsicles, those were awesome. I guess if I were to change it entirely, like, cause I'm thinking about like the Buccaneer logo and everything like that. Black would probably be the primary color. And I mean, if I got to go completely like I, black and red, I think it would be badass. But if we've got to go completely different, like if red can't be in there at all, I guess like orange, like maybe not a creamsicle, but like just like black and orange, almost like we're taking the best of what Oklahoma State does, I suppose. Right. Any, and that's the thing is like right now, the most iconic just green team, right? Green and base color, like black, white, silver, is the Eagles at both the college and the pro level, right? Your mm-hmm. only competition is the Jets. Packers are green and yellow. Uh, and in the college level, there are very few significant green teams, right? So they've got green cornered. And I don't know, like, if you if you were to leave, there's so many other bird teams. Like, are you going to do, like, purple? So Ravens, red, so Cardinals. Seahawks have, you know, the Navy down. They obviously always use right, the lime green right, as well. Right. Like, I just would rather just stay at green and hold it down. I think that they've got a good spot for that. I think that they got the most recognizable green jerseys in the league. Again, sorry, Jets, but, like, I just feel this way, and maybe I'm wrong, but that's how I think. So I would leave it. But also, maybe I'll go Kelly Green. I don't know. You know what? I called you a coward originally, but now I respect you. Yeah, that's what I thought. You have my respect, Stark. Daniel asked this one. Go ahead. Rank your top five holidays in terms of the food spread available at each holiday. So, okay. So to me, there's there's three major holidays that have a significant... I, actually, there's actually a fourth now that I say that out loud, but it's still fourth. Okay. So fourth is Labor Day. My dad's so you, a big... So you, didn't, like, so you didn't do five? No. I, I Whenever I can't think of a fifth, I just steal one of yours that I didn't think of. Okay, fair. All right. Great. Yeah. So fifth to me is Labor Day, uh, or excuse me, fourth to me is Labor Day. My father's a big like Labor Day. We got a grill, like start of the summer, right, or right. start of okay. the school year, end of summer, whatever. Da 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 guy. Uh, three for me is Christmas. Christmas is three. I've said this on the podcast before. My family doesn't do a big Christmas oh, right. meal thing. That's not big for us. It's right. the end of the Advent fast, so it's been a non-meat fast for forty days, and then we got church in the morning. And then you eat like, you know, just some some like sausages and cheeses and some meat. And then you go to sleep. We don't do like a big dinner. You know what I mean? I it's kind of like, like. I feel like if it's the first time you could eat meat, like it shouldn't be that way. Well, right. Stick with me here. Okay. Because two is Thanksgiving and Thanksgiving occurs in the in the Advent fast. The Advent fast starts on the 15th. Mm. And so you've been fasting for meat for a couple of days. But there's like a one day that you're allowed to not fast and it's Thanksgiving. And obviously, mm. uh, just in my family, we don't we do like christmas just as a unit but thanksgiving every year we do is like a big 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 family like an absolute my mom's side unit yeah so like we got like 30 plus people in the building so thanksgiving trumps christmas for me for the size and for the effort that's put in and then easter pasca is one and easter comes at the end of lent okay which is a a meat and dairy fast which lasts for like 47 50 days uh so you have you've been a vegan for two months so and that's <sighs> where you go to the midnight service 
and you make a basket full of the food that you fasted from, and then you have the liturgy, and then you eat at 2.30 a.m. with a bunch of Russians getting absolutely hammered. Uh, <laughs> that is the greatest meal of the year perennially okay. because you've just been angry for not <laughs> A lot. I, I should say, like a lot of Orthodox Christians fast very well and love the fast, and there's a lot of very beautiful things in the fast. I personally struggle a great deal with fasting. It's one of the more more difficult things for me in my faith. So, I dream about this meal for weeks because uh, when I haven't had a hamburger in two months, I get angry. Like I am upset with other people. Right. So to me, that that Pascha meal again at 3 a.m. inside in a church basement is just the top meal of the year every year. All right, so my list is a little bit different. It's a little outside the box, but we're coming from different uh, walks of life, so I think that this is good. We got a little diversity in here. Number five for me is Valentine's Day slash whenever your anniversary is with your significant other. Because wow, we get it. okay because it, whatever. <laughs> if you have a significant other on Valentine's Day, for example. You're probably going out to a really nice restaurant. So like this, you know, like y'all, you, you plan this out, you hopefully plan this out, and it like turns into this elaborate meal, which you're sitting here waiting for for forever. So I feel like this can be whatever you want, but it's also going to be a phenomenal meal. And then if you don't have a significant other on Valentine's Day, the way you celebrate is by getting like 50 wings, you know, and you're just like, I don't care. Like I'm single. I'm going to eat 50 wings tonight. And like, that's a great meal anyways. So that's five for me. Four is 4th of July for the reasons that you said with Labor Day. That's the big, like, grilling day that's, like, in Florida. It's obviously, like, out on the boat or at the beach or something, and it's just, like, hamburgers, chips, hot dogs, all this stuff all day long, and you don't even care about what you're eating. Three, Super Bowl Sunday. You got to have a good friend group that goes all out for Super Bowl Sunday. Got to bring out the whole spread, and it can be one of the best meals that you have all year. Two for me is Thanksgiving. One for me is Christmas. These are the family-based holidays in which you are just eating an ungodly amount of food. But Christmas, the Christmas menu at the Sycamore household is a tier up from that of Thanksgiving. So that's why it's one for me. You see, you just do more things than I do. Mara was like, Mara was like, what's your tra tradition for Super Bowl Sunday? I was like watching the football game. She was like, no, like snacks and food. And I was like, the football game. We, had, I, we never like, you know, we make like a dip and then we eat the dip. You know, like, I never had like a big spread. When the, when, the Eagle, when the Eagles were in the Super Bowl, did you do it bigger or did you do it like less? I, I flew home from college, hid in my room, worked also, and like could not function for the weekend. We did it like less. Like, I mean, like, like my mom still was like, we're going to make food. And like, they made like, it's like a good meal. You know what I mean? But we don't like it. Like we never did like invite people do the big this. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? It's just like, all right, we're going to do like sausage and peppers and jalapeno poppers. It's gonna be good. And then I just sat three inches from the television for three and a half hours. <laughs> See, I don't do, I don't do like a super big Super Bowl party. Like I'm not out at like a Buffalo Wild Wings or like something like that. Cause obviously I, I want to be on Twitter for it. A big part of my job is paying attention to the game as much as possible. But, you know, like I'll have like a, a, a house gathering and we'll order an insane amount of food or something like that. I will still do that. Even for this year, I, I still did that. I went over to uh, a friend's house and that was actually only th the three of us that were watching it. But uh, we ordered enough food for probably 30 people. So that's where, you know, that's where it was great. All right, we got we to gotta rapid fire these last couple ones, but I wanted to get to them. Uh, this last question, every NFL writer has a different cap number. 
for any given team. Why is there no standard for this? Fans enjoy having a definitive sense on this, but are often misled. I think the big thing this year was that we weren't sure what the cap floor was going to be. And I think these are always projected numbers because until the league announces what the cap floor is every single year, not just in a COVID year, you're not exactly sure. You're guessing. You're taking, you know, you're looking at previous growth of years, like how much did the cap come up the year before? What's the percentage that we think it's going to come up this year? Uh, There was a lot of there was a lot of confusion as to what it was going to be because for the first time in a really long time, it was going to go down. And so that was a big mystery. And I believe it was reported yesterday that around $180 million was going to be the final number. And when I say around, I mean like uh, basically one. It was reported that, that the, the league has told teams that it's going to be at least 180. It's not final yet. Okay, so at more. least 180. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I would say, right, in general, like cap accounting is very, very difficult to follow for everybody, for the league, for teams, and for media members. For a large part of the summer, uh, we're not even counting it real. We're just estimating it because obviously it's only like the final 53 men on the roster that'll matter, but there's like 90 people on the roster and all teams are over the cap anyway. So you use something called the top 51 rule to figure out generally how much cap space a team has. Uh, There's contract incentives that are classified as likely to be earned and not likely to be earned before they actually happen, right? Like, oh, if you make a Pro Bowl, if you throw for... 4,000 yards. And so those get accounted differently relative to the week we're in. There's roster bonuses, workout bonuses. There's just too many moving parts to have a constantly correct update. If you go to overthecap.com, they're going to have the best guess. That's what we're all going to generally use. And it's going to be close enough that we're usually right in what we're talking about. What did Ben talk about in the unreleased Solak episode that happened before the Wentz trade? That's a question. I'll never tell. (laughs) Uh, I had Connor Rogers on, friend of the show. He's been on before, of Bleacher Report. Uh, We were going to talk, and we did talk, an interesting conversation about Sam Darnold's trade market and how it might affect Wentz's trade market because there was the whole rumors like the Bears and the Colts were going to look for other options. Uh, That podcast was edited, and it was coming out, and then Carson Wentz got traded to the Indianapolis Colts. And now all of that knowledge is mine and mine alone. (laughs) Unbelievable. This is the final one. Javal asked this when he said, if you could bring any football player on the pod for a day, current or retired, who would you bring on and why? It's very difficult because there's 10,000 correct answers, but I did decide on George Kittle. Uh, And Kittle, I think, is a fascinating draft conversation guy because of how much his body changed at Iowa and how little experience he got at Iowa and then how successful he was in the league. You can pick his brain about the Kyle Shanahan offense, which is also fascinating. And then obviously Kittle is just like a hoot and a holler of a dude who I know plays Rocket League and I would want to make him (laughs) give me his Steam account so I can play Rocket League with him. I had two answers. One of them is Marshawn Lynch for obvious reasons because Marshawn Lynch is the absolute king of good vibes and any podcast that he's on is 100% gold. And then the other one is honestly Luke Keekley. I would love to have Luke Keekley on because his, his wealth of knowledge of the game is incredible. I mean, so is Marshawn's. I mean, Marshawn could, could rattle off countless stories about what it was like playing for Super Bowl teams. So I look, I, I think that Marshawn would be fantastic and Luke Keekley would be fantastic. Those are two of the guys that, that popped in right away to my head. There we go. That's Fan Friday, everybody. Hopefully you guys enjoyed it. Love the questions this week. They stayed on the football basis, but I feel like we got outside the box in a lot of our answers and we had some good conversations. We'll be back with another edition of the podcast fresh for you on Monday morning. Until then, you guys keep it locked right here on Lockdown NFL Draft.